hearing in the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee got completely and totally out of control. Republican Senator Mark Wayne Mullen is not a friend of Teamsters President Sean O'Brien. They've had a number of intense confrontations. We'll look at one of those flashbacks in just a little bit. Sean O'Brien, of course, advocating for a union and Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, like many Republicans, being very against unions. Well, it got more heated than it ever has in the past, this time with a United States Senator, Mark Wayne Mullen, challenging Sean O'Brien to a fight right there in the hearing room in front of everybody. And Bernie Sanders had to prevent it from going down. One of the weird clips we've looked at in a very long time. And by the way, it's not the only potential physical confrontation that happened because of Republicans today. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So here it is. Big tough guy. I'm a big boy and need to compensate for something. Mark Wayne Mullen at the hearing today. Everybody knows in this hearing the last time, <laughs> him and I kind of had a back and forth. I uh, appreciate your demeanor today. It's quite different. But after you left here, you got pretty excited about the keyboard. In fact, you tweeted at me one, two, three, four, five times. And let me read what the last one said. Um, it said, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company myself and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard in long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, hold, stop it. Is that your right. solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Sim. it. Hold it. If hold we can't, no, I have the mic. Said. I'm sorry. This is hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have, and you have I don't like you because you just described yourself. Yeah, hold it. You have the mic. Yeah. You have time. All make right. Your statement. You just can't not love Bernie in that clip. You can tell it takes him a while to realize what's going on. So he doesn't jump in early and then goes, oh, wait, what the heck? Are you challenging him to a fight? No, 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 you can't do that. Do I have to tell you this? You're a United States senator. Get yourself together, Mark Wayne Mullen. My goodness. Now, I'll note that while I agree with Sean O'Brien much more on the substance of what is being discussed, I'm incredibly pro-union. He's also getting a little bit too much into the tough guy act, especially on social media. Can we just talk about policy and not make this about who could beat who in a fight? But the absurdity of Mark Wayne Mullen going into the hearing, you could tell he's prepared with screenshots of posts O'Brien and made, ready to challenge O'Brien to a fight he'd been thinking about the night before. All right, I'm going to go in there and say, take me on. It's pretty remarkable. You wish everyone could act like an adult, you know. I've always, by the way, been baffled. I think we talked about this last time that Mullen and O'Brien had a back and forth by this desperate need from some guys to make everything about 
a show of physical dominance when it just doesn't fit the context of the situation. We're talking about unions. What's what's going on? Why is this now what we're talking about? And this happened to me at Trump rallies, for example, where there's a political debate going on and it gets sort of heated. And I had one guy say to me, you're just a kid. I could take you down if I wanted to. Okay, then you'll still be wrong about the election. I don't know how that fits into what we're talking about. And it's the same thing here. I'm way more right on my hatred for unions, Mark Wayne Mullen says, because I could take you down right here, right now. Just doesn't seem logical in my brain, but who knows? I mentioned they've gotten into it in the past. Here is their last back and forth at one of these hearings. Yeah, what, do you, what, do you, what job have you committed or have you, have you uh, uh, started? What job have you created? One job other than sucking the paycheck out of some other body, somebody else that you want to say that you're trying to provide because you're forcing them to pay dues? And no, then, we don't force them. Senator, you've asked the you're question. You're out of line. Actually, the I question. haven't. And no, don't tell me I'm out of line. You are out of line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you, you, you frame, don't tell me. You I'm frame, making a you statement. Frame, you frame third, the statement like a tough guy. You need to shut your guy. mouth yeah. because you don't know you're what you're talking about. You're going to tell me to shut my mouth? Yes, I did. Hold it. Hold it. Tough guy. I'm not afraid of physical. Senator, hold it. But don't sit there and tell me I'm out of line. Senator. You made a statement. You asked the question. I didn't ask the question. You did it. You did. I answered question. the question. You asked the question about how well, much money you made. Let him answer. It was, rhetor it was a let, rhetorical well, question. Well, you may think it's rhetorical. It sounded was rhetorical. to me like a question. Let him answer the question. I'm not yielding my time to him. So if you're going to let me keep my time, that's fine. You'll have your time. Let him. You ask your a question. question. He has so, a right to answer that. As far as my salary goes, my salary, if you follow me around, I walk, I actually look at this building. I bet you I work more hours than you do, twice that's, as many that's hours. That's impossible. But no, that is, that's true. Sir, you don't secondly, even know what hard work is. Secondly, you want to follow yeah. my schedule? Be, secondly, be, I'll do it in a minute. So again, weird, insecure sort of moments like that don't actually give us value in these discussions. Let's talk about how unions on average improve pay, benefits, workplace conditions. Let's talk about how we need to balance the power scale between executives and workers. Let's talk about all these different meaningful debates. And if Mark Wayne Mullen wants to, like an adult, argue his side of that argument, fair enough. But tantrums like this get us nowhere. Now I want to show you Republican Congressman Tim Burchett accusing Kevin McCarthy today of elbowing him. I guess trying to hurt him because of, I assume, anger towards Burchett for voting to oust him a few weeks ago. Before getting into that, though, let me break down just so we feel like we've updated ourselves today on the goings-on of the funding battle on what's going on with a potential government shutdown. So really quickly, the short version is new speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, is trying to avert a government shutdown. Yes, we're having this conversation again. You might remember they previously passed, I think it was a six-week extension, so we're at the end of that now the government will shut down if they don't agree to something before they leave for the Thanksgiving break. Johnson, despite his cuckoo MAGA beliefs, likely doesn't want a government shutdown on his hands. So he put forward a two-part continuing resolution that would once again extend funding for the government at 2022 levels into January, February. And then this will all happen again until they can actually agree on a budget. And this makes the hardliner part of their party unhappy. They want big cuts. They want huge concessions from Democrats. So they're calling Johnson out. The Freedom Caucus, for example, has announced they are against this proposal. So once again, we're in a situation that got Ken McCarthy into trouble where the Speaker of the House is going to try to work with most of his party, excluding the hardcore hardliners, and then also work with Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. And likely it's going to cause 
rage from the hardliners who want to get a bunch of programs gutted and get every one of their wishlist items every single time this debate comes up. So we'll see how it all plays out. There it is, your update on what's going on in Washington on Funding. With that being said, back to the physical confrontations. While this is being debated, Tim Burchett is out telling CNN, as a reminder, he's one of the people who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy, that he has an announcement for the world. Kevin McCarthy came for his kidneys. Yeah, there's been uh, apparently a tense interaction in the Capitol hallways with Congressman Tim Burchett, who is one of the eight Republicans who voted out Kevin McCarthy from the speakership and apparently had a bit of a dust up in the hallways himself with Kevin McCarthy. And I have Congressman Burchett with us here right now. So, Congressman, explain to us what happened with you and Kevin McCarthy. Well, I was doing an interview um, with um, Claudia from NPR, uh, a lovely lady, and she was asking me a question. And, and at that time, I... I uh, got elbowed in the back, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. And I turned back, and there was there was Kevin, and um, and I, I for a minute I was kind of what the heck just happened? And then I, um, you know, I, I chased after him. Of course, he's a as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with 17 million dollars in a security detail. You know, he's the type of guy that when you're a kid would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt. And he just, you know, he he, uh, from behind, that kind of stuff. It, you know, that's not the way we handle things in East Tennessee. We, we if we have a problem with somebody, I'm gonna look him in the eye and, and talk to him. Okay, so he walked down the hallway, hit you in his elbow with his elbow. Yeah, you, and you then, can you can go on Claudia's Twitter account. It it, it pretty much um, or X account. It, right. it, it's it's very accurate. But, okay, so then just explain. So you chased him. What, what do you mean you chased? Well, him? I just ran after him. I was like, what the heck? You know, why'd you do that? You know, because it was a. Uh, like I said, it, if you've ever been hit in the kidneys, it's a little little different. You don't have to hit very hard to cause a little bit of pain, a lot of pain. And and so I, and he just, of course, um, as he always did, does, he just uh, denies it or uh, blames somebody else or something, you know. And it was just a little heated, but I just backed off because there wasn't any, I saw no reason. I wasn't gaining anything from it. And then everybody saw it, so it didn't really matter. Like he responded to you? Yeah, yeah, he just acted like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, who are you to, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just, you know, I think that's that's symptomatic of the problems that he, he's had in his short tenure as speaker. What is wrong with the Republicans? You got one Republican senator trying to fight a union president. You got the former Speaker of the House elbowing another Republican congressman, at least according to Burchett. You guys got to get your stuff together. And this is one of those times when... You go, gosh, I miss when Democrats had a majority in the House. And by one of those times, I mean all those times, like every time, always, uh, when actual policies were being debated. We were talking about trying to pressure Manchin Cinema, for example, to support paid family leave or debating over different infrastructure investments or getting the PACT Act passed, the expanded veterans health care coverage. I mean, those are the sorts of conversations I want to be having, not talking about the latest threat of physical violence in the GOP. We should have known, by the way, that this was coming. You remember this during the first battle for the speakership? 
Kevin McCarthy was completely dejected. You saw him walk up the aisle towards where Boebert and Gates were sitting and pleading with them to, to vote for him. He was in a moment of desperation. And then you saw Mike Rogers coming up from behind the well, coming down the aisle. And this is someone, he's a chairman. Uh, he is a close McCarthy ally. He has been growing more frustrated and more frustrated with the holdouts all week. So that is important context. In fact, we are told that he had threatened to kick some of the holdouts off of their committee assignments if they didn't fall in line. So he was so frustrated, he came down the aisle and sources told Annie Guerrero that he basically said, Matt, you're finished to him. And at that point, Hudson, another member, came up behind him, sort of muzzled him and tried to hold him back so he wasn't able to speak anymore. But it really spoke to the moment. They're a mess. That's where I'll leave things on this story. What I have for you with this story is pretty dang wild. So Jonathan Carl of ABC News had a recorded phone conversation with Donald Trump in July of 2021, so six-ish months after he had left the White House. And some of the excerpts that Carl is now revealing to the public are pretty unbelievable. By the way, we'll also get to in this segment video from former Trump lawyers also revealing some wild details about Trump's attempts to stay in power. But we start with these ABC News recordings. This one relates to Trump's belief that he might be somehow reinstated as president in the middle of Biden's term. And this is long after his legal cases had failed, long after he had been presented with plenty of evidence to prove the election was not stolen. And still, he's pretending like he may get into the White House sometime during Biden's term. It's very strange. Here was some of this discussion. By the way, when you had a release recently, you said 2024 or before. What, what do you mean by that? You, you don't really think there's a way you would get reinstated before the next election. Do you? I'm not going to explain it to you, Jonathan, because you, uh, you wouldn't either understand it or write it. You wouldn't either understand it or write it, he says. So he doesn't deny that he indeed is holding out hope that he could be reinstated, whatever the heck that means, but just says he's not going to explain it to you, you unserious journalist. Jonathan Carl. Pretty kooky stuff. Then here's Carl breaking down Trump actually acting on this belief and trying to get Mo Brooks to work on the reinstatement of Trump, to which even the wacky MAG Republican congressman at the time, Mo Brooks, said, no, I don't think that's constitutional or, you know, possible. But he kept on going on yes. into, into last year, into 2022. He actually went to Mo Brooks, who he had endorsed running for Senate uh, in Alabama. Who's quite conservative, I think people Mo, should Mo be. Brooks, I mean, let, let's put it this way. He wore body armor right. to, the, to the speech outside the White House on January 6th. He was the first guy to lead the objections in Congress to Biden's certification. So anyway, so Mo Brooks, he, he called Mo Brooks up and um, again, on an unannounced call and Mo Brooks told me he picked it up and, and he made a series of four demands of him. Uh, and the demands were all related to this reinstatement thing. He wanted Brooks to go out and call on Biden to be removed from the White House, call for a rerunning of the election, and, uh, and for Trump to be reinstated as president. And Mo Brooks, again, in a pretty extreme Trump diehard, yeah. said, no, that's unconstitutional, I can't do it. And Trump then a few days later withdrew his endorsement. But this is what was going on. He really thought that something was going to happen, the cyber ninjas audit in Arizona and everything else, that it was all going to come to this big culminating moment and he was going to go back into the White House. So at least according to Carl, a part of the reason Trump abruptly took back his endorsement of Mo Brooks in that run for Senate in Alabama is because Mo Brooks was 
like, yeah, I don't even know how I'd begin to move forward on a process of reinstatement. Again, that would be unconstitutional, obviously, but also logistically, just how do you even imagine that happening? The military taking Biden out of power? So to me, this shows an interesting dynamic in Trump's world. He, of course, is constantly misleading his followers and he started the lie about the election. They all bought into it. But then interestingly, almost out of desperation and then delusion, he can start being convinced by his followers of things. Because I heard on the ground this for a long time, Trump's going to be reinstated. But then I guess Trump's scrolling through true social reading about how his followers are believing this. And then he starts believing it, that he's going to be ushered in as the rightful president. It's crazy. Which can we just again circle back to and acknowledge how separate from the danger of it, how sad all of this is, and how it reflects on the character of Trump. He's so weak, so insecure, so desperate that he can't just accept like countless other politicians have to do all the time that he lost. People lose elections sometimes, it just happens. And so way back before the election, he started realizing the polls didn't look great for him. People were fed up with his handling of covid so he preemptively you might remember started saying oh this election may be stolen and i'm not going to commit to conceding and the mail-in ballots may be a part of their stealing operation then the election happens and on election night he comes out and says uh we won just stop counting the votes there they're trying to steal it then of course years after he is still claiming the election was stolen and apparently started holding on to the fantasy of him being ushered in by the military or whatever it was that he imagined happening in 2022, just in the middle of Biden's term and becoming president once again. All of that because essentially his fifis couldn't handle that he lost. Again, something adults have to contend with sometimes. All of those lies and all of those delusions for that reason. Now we move on to some incredible footage of Trump's former lawyers being interviewed by Georgia prosecutors in the election interference case in Fulton County. Before playing the clips, here is the reporting also from ABC News. The boss is not going to leave. Proffer videos show ex-Trump lawyers telling Georgia prosecutors about efforts to overturn 2020 election as part of a plea deal. One of former President Donald Trump's attorneys has told prosecutors in Georgia that she was informed in the wake of the 2020 election that Donald Trump was, quote, not going to leave the White House, despite the fact they'd already lost the election and most of his subsequent challenges. The revelation, along with others, came during a confidential interview the Attorney General Ellis had with Fulton County investigators. ABC News has obtained portions of videos of the proper sessions of both Ellis and Sidney Powell, we'll look at both those, two attorneys who aided Trump's efforts to overturn the election. The videos for the first time reveal details of what they have told law enforcement since agreeing to cooperate last month in the district attorney's election interference case. With that being said, here is Jenna Ellis saying that she was told around Christmas in 2020 by Dan Scavino, an advisor to Trump, that the boss is just not going to leave power. At the time, the current president of the United States, most powerful person in the world, is saying, even though I lost, I'm not going to follow the Constitution or rule of law. I'm just going to stay in power. Take a look. Okay. And uh, at the time, uh, period where they were going to start to discuss what was uh, Dan Scavino's role? At the time, I believe his title was social media director for the White House. It became deputy chief of staff um, at the time that the conversation in question took place. Okay, and when was that? The conversation was around December 19th of 2020 uh, at the White House Christmas party. 
And I uh, emphasized to him, I thought that the, um, the, the claims and the ability to challenge uh, the election results was essentially over because he said um, to me in a kind of excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump, and everyone understood the boss, um, that's what we all called him. Um, he said, the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he said, we don't care. Oh, but Luke, what about Biden? He's wearing tennis shoes to improve his traction when he's wearing suits. This is the real deal. These are the stakes in the election. Donald Trump was telling people around him, no, we're just not going to leave. I'm not going to allow for the peaceful transfer of power. And we knew that and we saw that, but we can't remind ourselves of that too many times. He had all these schemes going on, the fake elector scheme, getting people to sign these forms and try to assert themselves to be the lawful and duly elected electors of certain states so that he could pretend he won states that he lost and calling election officials saying, find me votes that don't exist and trying to get his vice president to just not allow for a lawful constitutional proceeding to certify the election and all of these different schemes, his lawyers tampering with the voting machines. And then also, if all that failed, the belief was, we're just not going to leave. We're just not going to allow for the Constitution to prevail. Luckily, they failed, but Trump learned where he made mistakes in the past and likely will try not to make those in the future if he gets another chance. Then here is Sidney Powell, uh, the release the Kraken person, and some of the notable moments from her interview. There was a big shouting match in which Rudy called me every name in the book and... Um, I was the worst lawyer he'd ever seen in his life. Uh, there were no circumstances under which he'd work with me on anything. He called me a bitch and I don't know what all. And that's pretty much all I remember about that one. Did I know anything about election law? No. But I understand fraud from having been a prosecutor for 10 years. What was um, President Trump's sense of what you would do as special counsel? I guess he assumed and I would have thought that I would have looked at uh, putting into effect a provision of 13848 that would have allowed the machines to be secured in four or five states. How do you choose which states that you would target? How would I have chosen that? By the ones where there were the most uh, statistical anomalies. Ms. Powell, were you ever around when someone, anyone, told uh, Donald Trump that he had lost the election? Oh, yeah. Who? Uh, Pat Cipollone, Eric Hirschman, Derek Lyons, all thought he'd lost. Was that in the December 18th meeting? Yes. What, what was um, President Trump's reaction when, I guess, this cadre of advisors would say you lost? It was like, uh, well, they would say that and then they'd walk out and he'd go, see, this is what I deal with all the time. He was specifically willing to appoint me special counsel. In fact, he looked over at Cipollone three different times and said, do I have the authority to name her special counsel? And Cipollone said, yes, you do. And then somebody said, well, she doesn't have a security clearance. So he looked at Cipollone and he said, do I have the authority to give her a security clearance? And Cipollone said, yes, you do. And then about the third time we went through that scenario, 
Cipollone, I think, said, you can name her anything you want, Mr. President, and nobody's going to pay a bit of attention to it. So much there. First off, I almost bust out laughing when she goes, do I know anything about election laws? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, then she talks about being appointed as a special counsel. That's what Trump was considering doing, naming Sidney Powell as a special counsel, meaning giving her special prosecutorial powers to get to the bottom of the stolen election. And she's talking about securing voting machines, whatever that means. I guess that was a part of their broader plan to seize the machines and find the evidence that the Jewish space lasers flipped votes. I mean, wait, I think I'm getting my MAGA conspiracy theories mixed up. Hugo Chavez flipped votes, whatever it was. It's hard to keep track. She also talks about how Trump was informed repeatedly that he lost and just didn't listen, something we've known for some time. Now, as a reminder of my favorite Sidney Powell moment, who again was a lawyer to the most powerful person on the planet. Freaky. Here was her in a January 6th select committee deposition, taking a swig of a diet, Dr. Pepper. In the short period of time that you had with the president, did uh, uh, he seem receptive to the presentation that you were making? He was very interested in hearing, particularly about the CISA finding and the terms of 13848 that apparently nobody else had bothered to inform him of. Such a strange moment. So there it is. Again, democracy is on the line in 2024. Don't forget it. Before you go, don't forget to become a member at LukeBeasleyShow.com slash membership to get access to the daily bonus show Monday through Friday. Plus, follow me on threads at Luke Beasley Official Instagram at Luke Beasley Official X at Luke P. Beasley and sign up for the Beasley Brief, a daily morning newsletter that summarizes the previous day's events by going to LukeBeasleyShow.com slash brief. And I'll talk to you all next time.